Hey y'all, I'm your host Peyton, and today I'll be taking you back in time to a decade that should have been full of disco balls and lava lamps and peace signs, but peace was all but known to one Shreveport family as they've waited 50 years for their son to return home. This is The Crimes Picking. On the afternoon of Saturday, February 6th, 1971, 17-year-old David Claude Yeager set off on foot from his home in South Shreveport to attend an event at the local college. David would usually ask his mom, Betty, for a ride, but she was out of town in Houston for a personal trip. His father, Claude, had moved four hours away after he and Betty split, and With David not having a car, it meant he was going to have to find his own way across town. As David's younger brother, Steve, watched him walk down the driveway of their home on Lola Lane, he yelled out to David, presumably to ask him where he was going. David yelled back, stating he was going to meet up with some friends, but according to Steve, his brother didn't specify where. David turned around and continued towards Mansfield Road, eventually disappearing from view. And although Steve didn't know where his brother was going, he did know that when he hadn't returned by late that evening, something was wrong. David wasn't the type of kid that got himself into trouble or stayed out past curfew. He was quite the opposite, actually. David had been a part of several clubs during his four years at C.E. Bird High School. Drama Club, History Club, Library Club, and that day in 1971, it's believed that he was heading to the college to watch a debate. The 17-year-old was left without parental supervision, overnight, on a Saturday, and from what we know, planned to spend it watching a debate. That should tell you the kind of kid David was. Around 10 p.m. the night of the 6th, Steve contacted their mom, Betty, to let her know that David hadn't made it back home. Betty immediately made the drive back to Shreveport and, upon returning, went to the police department to file a missing persons report. Of course, they made her wait 24 hours before they'd take the report, and when David still hadn't shown up by the next day, Sunday the 7th, he was finally classified as missing. Friends and family were notified immediately of the missing teen, many of them driving in from out of town to assist with the search. Mansfield Road was the initial focal point as it was the last place David was seen, or rather seen walking towards. Throughout the area, ditches were searched for signs of David in case he had been hit by a car and evidence had left behind or if even David himself had been left behind. But day after day, ditch after ditch, Nothing was ever found. One evening in 2018, almost 50 years after David disappeared, his cousin Kelly was doing some scrolling in one of the many true crime Facebook groups that she's a part of when she came across the National Missing and Unidentified Persons System, also known as NamUs. NamUs is an online system that houses information for missing, unidentified, and unclaimed person cases. 
In addition to providing resources regarding missing persons, you can search within each database for cases that match your filters. Within the missing persons database, the filters range from really broad information like sex and race to very specific like the make and model of the individual's car or any tattoos that they had. Expecting to come across his case file, Kelly typed in David's name and nothing. No name, no photo, no case file. Kelly contacted the Shreveport Police Department to ask why David wasn't in the database. After some digging and a detective or two later, David's missing persons report was finally found, filed away in long-term storage. No one at the police department even knew he was missing. Someone at the department knew at one point, though, because as serial killers began to emerge and get caught in the 70s, David's dental records were sent for comparison. When the bodies of young boys and men were pulled from underneath the home of John Wayne Gacy in 1978, the Jaeger family experienced a slew of emotions knowing that their David might be one pulled from the crawl space. All but five of Gacy's 33 victims have been identified. David is not one of them. His dental records were also sent to Texas when Dean Quarrel's murders were brought to light. Quarrel, also referred to as the Candyman, killed at least 28 teenage boys and young men in the Houston and Pasadena area from 1970 to 1973. Though there's controversy around how many lives Dean Quarrel and his accomplices actually took, there's only one victim that is yet to be identified. That young boy is also not David. Though attempts have been made to connect David with serial killers hundreds of miles away, there's one that I haven't mentioned yet that seems to be just a little too close to home for his cousin Kelly. Danny Rowling, also known as the Gainesville Ripper, lived about three miles from the Jaeger home and only four-tenths of a mile from where David would have walked by on Mansfield Road. Rowling is most notably known for taking the lives of five Florida college students during a four-day killing spree in late summer 1990. Although he was just a teen at the time of David's disappearance, Rowling's violent and deviant behavior throughout childhood would make one think he's capable of just about anything, even at 16. At nine, school counselors reported he suffered from aggressive tendencies and poor impulse control. Around 11, his sadistic fantasies grew along with his addiction to alcohol. At 12, he spent two weeks in jail after his father busted him drinking with a friend. At 14, he was caught on multiple occasions peeping into his neighbor's bathroom window. He was thrown in jail two more times before his 17th birthday for underage drinking. Throughout his childhood, it's documented that Rowling dreamt of killing and controlling people. Meanwhile, in real life, he was killing and hurting animals. But what stands out the most to me about the teen is that less than one month after David disappeared, Danny Rowling threatened his father that if he did not sign him up for the Navy, he would run away from home for good. I should add that his father James was a lieutenant on the Shreveport Police Department. 
Was he tired of the abuse he had suffered at the hands of his father for 16 years, or did he feel like he needed to leave the city for some other reason? Rowling would later confess, just minutes before he was set to be executed, to the 1989 unsolved murders of the Grissom family. Tom, Julie, and Sean, 55, 24, and 8, respectively, were stabbed to death in Tom Grissom's South Shreveport home less than a mile from the Jaeger residence. Julie lived with her divorced father, Tom, after moving back home from Baton Rouge to continue her degree. On the evening of November 4th, Tom picked up his grandson, Sean, so they could hang out and spend the evening together. A neighbor reported that the two had returned home around 5.30. She chatted with the Grissoms briefly in the street before they parted ways. It's believed that Rowling was in the process of killing Julie when Tom and Sean returned home and felt that he couldn't have any witnesses. According to several newspaper articles by the Shreveport Times, each member of the Grissom family was stabbed one to five times, all in separate rooms. Sean, the eight-year-old, was found in the living room, having been stabbed once in the back. It's not reported how many times Tom was stabbed, but the Shreveport Time writes that he was, quote, stabbed multiple times in the chest and back in the utility room, end quote. Julie seemed to receive the majority of the brutality as she was stabbed five times. She was found naked on her bed, posed provocatively, just as the Gainesville women would be the following year. Rowling eventually pled guilty to the five murders in Florida and was sentenced to death. On the day of his execution in 2006, Rowling requested that his spiritual advisor, Pastor Mike Hudspeth, read his handwritten confession of the Grissom family murders. It read, quote, In order to fulfill all things that no stone be unturned, Hereby, I make a formal written statement concerning the murders of Julie, Tom, and Sean Grissom in my hometown of Shreveport, Louisiana. Hal Carter, Julie Grissom's former fiancé, is 100% innocent, totally pure of that crime. I and I alone am guilty. It was my hand that took those precious lights out of this old dark world. With all my heart and soul, wish I could bring them back. Being a native son of Shreveport, I can only offer this confession of deep-felt remorse over the loss of such fine, outstanding souls. End quote. While waiting for his day of execution, it's alleged that Rowling told other inmates and psychologists that he wanted to kill a person for each year he had previously served in prison. He spent a total of eight years in multiple prisons for various armed robberies across the South. If that is true, all eight murders and victims are accounted for, meaning David Yeager probably wasn't a victim of Danny Rowling. Rowling also targeted women and would only kill a man because he was present and didn't want to leave a witness. There's also zero evidence that David and Danny ever knew each other. They went to different high schools, different churches, and ran around with different crowds. But with them living on the same side of town, there's no way to know if they ever crossed paths, especially on February 6, 1971. 
We aren't 100% sure where David was headed that day, but if he was going to the college across town like we believe he was, he would have crossed under the I-20 overpass. I-20 begins in Scrogginstraw, Texas, and runs all across the south, hitting major cities like Dallas, Shreveport, Jackson, Birmingham, Atlanta, and ends in Florence, South Carolina. It makes me wonder if someone was traveling along the interstate and saw David, whether they had pulled off to rest or they saw him from the overpass and offered him a ride. According to his cousin Kelly, David was adamant that he'd find a ride and his family believes he would have had to. You see, David wasn't athletic. He was more of a nerd than he was in shape and at 240 pounds, there's no way he would have been able to make the eight mile walk across the city or any major distance for that matter. The family feels that the Shreveport Police Department worked David's case as a runaway from day one. His cousin Kelly told Mike Morford, host of the podcast Missing Persons, that they, being Shreveport Police Department, didn't seem like they did much of an investigation. And I probably have to agree, I mean, they have called her asking if she knew who the original investigator was. The Shreveport Journal released an article several years after David disappeared, coincidentally on what would have been his 22nd birthday, titled, Come Home, Missing Person, Come Home. It features statistics regarding missing persons from the previous year, 1974, as well as remarks from an interview with Shreveport Police Major James Bird. He says, quote, 95% of these kids return home on their own. Of the others, we locate them all. We may not get them home, but we know where they are. Shreveport police have been very lucky so far. We've never found one, referring to a juvenile, dead. End quote. And he's right. I mean, you can't find anything if you haven't looked for it. Major Bird continues, quote, as soon as a youngster is reported missing, an all-points bulletin goes out to all police units in the local area. If a, quote, good youngster drops out of sight with no apparent motive and no history of previous runaway attempts, Shreveport police really start worrying, end quote. They were so worried about David that they never mentioned him along with other missing children and teens found in newspaper articles. They were so worried about David that there's no documentation showing an investigation was even done. David was set to graduate from high school in less than three months. He had just gotten his senior ring and started dating someone. He left behind a decent amount of money, which Kelly believes he was saving to buy a car. He fit the, quote, good youngster definition, and there is nothing to indicate that David wanted to run away. So where did David go? I've spent hours searching old newspapers for any possible event he could have been going to that day, but there really wasn't much going on that weekend. And as someone born and raised in Truthboard, I can tell you that hasn't changed in 50 years. It was homecoming weekend for the college that David was believed to be walking to. His high school was playing against another in basketball that night. The arena was about six miles away, and he also would have taken Mansfield Road to get there, but to me, David just doesn't seem like the type to have wanted to attend either. 
What I did find, though, is that David is not the oldest missing persons case in Shreveport. On April 30, 1963, eight years prior to David's disappearance, Joe Boyd Wright went missing from the 2100 block of Southern Avenue. Similarly to David, Joe is white, 5'7", dark hair and hazel eyes, and only 16 years old. For those that are not familiar with the area, Southern Avenue is in the center of the city. It runs parallel to I-49 and is a part of the South Highlands neighborhood, as is C.E. Bird High School, which is the high school David went to. Centenary College is less than two miles from where Joe was last seen, and if David had made it all the way across town somehow, he would have had to cross over Southern Avenue to get to the college. We're talking half a square mile area. I don't have any information linking the two. I mean, all I have about Joe is his description and where he was last seen. And I could theorize for hours, but there's so limited information, it leaves the door wide open for innumerable possibilities. David's mom, Betty, was completely changed by her son's disappearance. She never gave up hope that her son would come back to their home on Lola Lane one way or another. After decades of waiting, Betty herself was called home almost 34 years to the day of David's disappearance. She never had David declared dead. His younger brother Steve had to in order to help settle the property and such that was left to them by their mother when she passed. And it was a couple of months after her passing in April of 2005 that David's name made the newspaper. For the first, and what I could find, the last time, an ad was placed in the classified section of the Shreveport Times requesting that anyone with knowledge of the whereabouts of David call an attorney whose information was listed below. I don't think anything came of it though because, well, David is still missing. He would be turning 69 this year. If you know of anyone that graduated from C.E. Bird High School in 1971, attended Centenary College in 1971, or worked or lived in South Shreveport in 1971, please share this episode with them. Ask if they remember anyone that was a part of the town talk. You know, the sketchy slash won't be surprised if they wind up on the news type. I'm afraid that as his classmates age, his memory will go with them. I don't want David sitting in storage for another 50 years. David is a white male, roughly 5 foot 6 and 240 pounds. He has black hair and brown eyes and was believed to be wearing an off-white shirt with dark colored pants. If you have any information regarding the disappearance of David Claude Yeager, please contact the Shreveport Police Department at 318-673-7300.